Amen. Amen. Well, let's open our Bibles as we continue. Thank you, Scott and Rachel, for serving in your gifting. Thank you to all the folks who serve throughout our services in their gifting. We want to thank the nursery workers this morning for serving in their gifting. Can I get an amen? Amen. And if you'd like to help out and serve in nursery, we're always looking for faithful volunteers. So see Connie Morris over here. Wave at us, Sister Connie. She is our faithful director, and she deals with the scheduling and with uh, sometimes the unfortunate last-minute cancellations, which happen in life. And then she jumps in along with her hubby, Chris. Chris is a good support. Thank you, Brother Chris. Good to have you around, too. And, uh, but anyway, thank you to all who serve and they're serving here, serving their gifting. Uh, we're talking about spiritual gifts today, and so obviously this is at the forefront of my mind as I came here to church this morning. Um, I'm so thankful that this body and the success of our church and the growth of our church and the spiritual health of our church doesn't just depend on one person. Um, sometimes maybe the model of church that we grew up in, it was just about this holy man standing on the stage, booming forth words, and it was all dependent and it all rose and fell on him. But the reality is, is I'm just one piece of the body. You're, you're another piece of the body. And as we're going to talk about over the next several weeks in our study on spiritual gifts, um, it would look really weird if there was just an eyeball and there was no other parts of the body. I mean, um, husbands, how many of you, when you married your wife, you're like, wow, her eyeball is beautiful? Yeah, that's kind of weird to say. No, it was a combination of the entire body that you grew to love. And so in the church, it's not just one piece of that body. I'm one piece, you're another piece. And so God calls us to serve in our gifting. And so with that said, the title of the message this morning is Gift Chaos. <laughs> Gift Chaos. Uh, as, as with a lot of things in the church of Corinth, there was just a lot of confusion, a lot of division, a lot of competition around gifts. There was gift envy. There was gift competition. There was gift confusion. There was gift abuse, as we'll study in uh, Ro uh, Romans, in 1 Corinthians 14. But today we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 12, not 1 through 2, so miss that 1 there to make that a 12. But let's read this passage together. It says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Ye know that ye were Gentiles, carried away into these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. For as the body is one and hath many members, right? So it's not just an eyeball. It's not just an earlobe. It's not just a mouth. As, it has many parts. And all the parts of that one body, being many, are one body. So what's Paul painting a picture here? He's painting a picture of diversity, but yet unity. He's pointing out this picture of the body, saying that the body works together in harmony with all the spiritual gifts, 
And it's ultimately a reflection of Christ. So let's pray this morning. Father, we are here today to receive from you what you would have for us. And so today, if we don't know you as Savior, even though this message is primarily directed at Christians, Lord, I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit and the illuminating truth of your gospel, that you would show unbelievers here this morning their need for you, that they would trust you, that they would turn from trusting in their own goodness, in their own whatever they're trusting in, and trust you completely for their salvation. And then, Father, for us that know you as Savior, may we receive your truth today in our hearts, that we would be transformed. And so, Father, um, may we be teachable, may we be receptive to what you have for us today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of things to help us with our understanding of this passage. Now, some of these things are going to look like they're repetitive from the last several weeks. And part of that is on purpose because with repetition comes learning. And so, again, an overview to help you understand the Word. One of my goals as your pastor is not just to teach you what to know, but to teach you how to think so that you can know. Um, And so I'm not just up here to tell you what to do, although sometimes that is my role as your under-shepherd, as your spiritual brother in Christ, to encourage you, to exhort you, to admonish you, but also to teach you how to think. And that's part of what we're doing as we go through this book, is we're showing you how all these um, disconnected parts make sense. Um, young people, how many of you are, you know, taking a, a subject in school right now that you don't understand at all? For me, it was math, okay? I did never understood math. Part of the reason is because is I never really understood how it all fit together. And so I was thankful when the Lord called me into the ministry and only had one math class in college. Amen. Addition, subtraction, understanding how to balance checkbooks. How many of you are thankful that I'm not a math whiz? Yes, I'm not. Anyway, um, but... <laughs> I can't count to 10. I can't count to 100, I think. So anyway, well, I don't have that many fingers and toes. But the point is this. So keys to understanding this passage. Number one, this is a corrective passage. So again, this book overall is Paul is writing this book to correct wrong behavior going on in the city of Corinth. And the root of that wrong behavior was a wrong belief and understanding of the gospel. And what's so fascinating about this book is in Paul's appeal to their wrong behavior, he doesn't go back to Moses He doesn't go back to the Old Testament primarily, although he alludes to verses from the Old Testament, but he roots them in their identity in Christ in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9. He says, you're saints. And so start living like it, Corinth. And here's all these issues you've got going on. There is division. There is personality cults going on. You know, some say you're of Paul. Some say you're of Apollo. Some say you're of Cephas. And you've got all this division and bickering going on, and he's correcting wrong behavior. Of course, in chapter 5, there was a man uh, flaunting his liberty in Christ, saying that he could have an illicit relationship with his stepmother, which was absolutely ungodly, and Paul called that out. And so this is a corrective passage. So keep that in mind as we read these passages, that primarily why Paul is writing these things is to correct a wrong understanding, a wrong application or use of these issues that he's addressing. Number two, this is an occasional document. What does that mean? It was written to certain people at a certain time, in a certain place, in a certain situation. How many of you benefited from that message a couple weeks ago on head coverings? Anybody? And did you see how that occasional, the understanding that this is an occasional document helped us understand and apply that issue of head covering 
to our time today. And so if you missed that sermon, I hope you'll go back and hear that. It really shows you how we rightly divide the word and how we know what to apply to our lives today from a document that was written close to 2,000 years ago. All of God's word is profitable, but not, of, but not all of God's word, depending on what you're reading, is directly applicable. Meaning, you don't still sacrifice animals today for a covering for your sins, right? Although that's in the Bible. And so we understand this intuitively, whether we understand it outwardly or not. Uh, number three, this is the longest passage in the Bible concerning spiritual gifts. This is the longest passage in the Bible concerning spiritual gifts. Uh, there's a couple of other passages, Romans 12, and then also later on in 1 Corinthians 12 and over in 1 Corinthians 14, where the Bible addresses spiritual gifts. And then finally, spiritual gifts were very divisive in Corinth. Um, no mystery. One of the main problems in the church of Corinth was division. It was keeping them from being effective for the gospel. It was keeping them from from uh, making a difference in their community like they could. Um, how many of you know that you can have five all-stars on a basketball team and they can have a losing record in a season because they think they're all all-stars and there's nobody willing to pass the ball. There's no one willing to depend on other people. There's no unity. So you can have a group of all-stars on a basketball team or a baseball team or whatever team you want, but if there's no unity, you're not going to be that Effective. And so what was happening in Corinth is they were even using spiritual gifts to create division in their body, as we will see over the next several weeks. And so with all that said, let's read verse 1 again. I want to point out some truths to you as we go along and then share with you some thoughts here. And you've got your blanks ready. How many of you are ready with your pen in hand to fill out your worship guide this morning? Raise your pen. All right, we will faithfully charge ahead. Verse 1, the Bible says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren... I would not have you ignorant. Notice that phrase, now concerning. So Paul is addressing another question. This is the question and answer section of 1 Corinthians. In the first half of the book, if you remember, Paul was writing to address behaviors that he had heard about, wrong things that were going on that the household of Chloe had told him about. And now in the second section, he's doing Q&A, but at the same time he's doing Q&A, he's addressing some of the wrong understanding with the, with the questions that they had. So now concerning, so he's addressing another question here that they had. And he says, I would not have you to be ignorant. Um, these services here in Corinth, these worship services in Corinth, as we're going to study over the next several weeks, they were very chaotic. There was a lot of confusion going on. Um, there were more than likely rivalries within the Christians' gifting. They were rivaling against each other with who had the better gift. They were trying to outdo one another in their gifting, and they were arguing over which gifts were more important than others. You're going to see all that play out over these next several chapters. In fact, you're more than welcome to read ahead in the study over these next couple of weeks. But you'll see that there was rivalries because they were trying to outdo one another. They were arguing over which gifts were more superior. And so Paul is saying, stop being ignorant. I love Paul. <laughs> He's just straight to the point. He's like, hey, would you stop being foolish? Would you stop being childish? This is a sign of your carnality. This is a sign of your childishness. And he says, don't be ignorant. He, which basically says, you should know this. That's what he's saying. He's saying, Corinth, you should know this. So what he's about to share with him is very important. So verses 2 and 3, the Bible says, Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Now, 
this is an odd statement because Paul's about to address spiritual gifts, so why would he say this? It sounds a little bit out of place. Well, what was happening, keep in mind that the Corinthians were being influenced by pagan religions around them. There were hundreds of gods, uh, there were hundreds of idols that the city of Corinth would would worship. And one of the main temples in the city of Corinth was the uh, worship of Apollo. And there was a town close to Corinth, about 25 miles north of Corinth, called Delphi. And in Delphi, there was a prophetess who is known for her ecstatic language. Her uh, ecstatic use of weird tongues. And so this prophetess from Delphi would, would do this. And, and undoubtedly, from what we gather, as you keep reading this passage, is that the Corinthians were confused because there were manifestations of the Spirit, and there were spiritual gifts, there were certain even sign gifts given to the first century. But what Paul is going to br- bring out here is that, listen, the way that you test whether these spiritual gifts are from God is what is their confession about Jesus Christ? What are they saying? Because Satan can appear as an angel of light. He can appear with signs and wonders even. But what are these people who are utilizing these gifts, what do they say about Jesus? And and this was probably important because there were maybe people in Corinth who had some of these, Satan was counterfeiting these gifts and they were coming into the body and Paul needed to instruct them, here's how you discern. Here's how you know the difference between light and darkness. Uh, 1 John 4 gives to us this test. It says in verses 1 and 2, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And so when you turn on the TV, how would this apply to us today? When you turn on the TV to Christian broadcasting, and you see someone who is, seems very gifted in something, the, the, the number one question we need to ask is, what did they say about Jesus Christ? And here's some of the things, if you want to write these down. Here's some of the things that you want to make sure someone knows about Jesus, and what are they confessing about Jesus? Number one, that he came from heaven. That's what 1 John 4 tells us, that he's the Son of God, that Jesus is God, not a God. Ooh, you got to be very careful, see? There's a lot of, there's uh, people that go around and knock on doors today who tell you Jesus is a God, but he's not the God. See, so is Jesus God. Number, number four, Jesus lived a perfect sinless life. Jesus lived the only perfect sinless life, by the way. He was the only perfect one, the true and better, the final Adam who could live perfect, a perfect life and then die in our place. Number four, Jesus died and rose again. Jesus died and rose again. Jesus is the only way to God. And salvation is by faith in Jesus alone. Those are some of the important questions you must use in testing the spirits. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they be from God. And so that's what Paul is doing here in verses 2 and 3. But moving right along. And so basically to sum up those few verses, if you want to get to the heart of what someone believes, ask them what they believe about Jesus every single time. What a great test. I hope those questions will help you. If you need a copy of those later, I can get those to you. Didn't have room to put them in the notes. So let's keep moving. Verses uh, 4 through 6, the Bible says this. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. 
And so what Paul is going to do here is he's going to lay out now some understanding on spiritual gifts in verses 4 through 6. So what I'm about to cover, not everyone uh, completely agrees. Uh, Theologians differ on gifts. In fact, there's been entire denominations created on differences of what people see as being gifts that are still for today versus not for today. And so just know that some of the things I might say might cause you to go, huh, and if they do, great, because what I'm doing is, is I'm challenging us all to think and not just go on autopilot during a sermon, which all of us tend to do. Even preachers tend to go on autopilot sometimes. And so I'm going to share with you some things, and I, and I hope this will stir us to think deeper and dig deeper into this issue of what we call spiritual gifts and as we study this over the next several weeks. So number one, here's a definition. There's a lot of definitions out there for spiritual gifts, but as I study God's Word, this is what... Uh, I would like to share with you today. What is a spiritual gift? It is a, it's typically a natural ability that God has given a person that is enhanced by the Holy Spirit to be used in the church. Now, notice some words there that I underlined and italicized. Number one, typically. We are not saying that there are not miraculous manifestations, even to this day. I mean, for people who knew me when I was in third grade, and if they were to see me like like if they had seen me in third grade and now they saw me as a 38-year-old, they would not believe that I would be doing this. Because when I was eight years old, I stuttered almost uncontrollably. Mom and dad, do you remember that, dad? I mean, I was scared to death to read in public. I couldn't get through a sentence, but I had a physical or a speech therapist named Bobby Burmester. I'll never forget her as long as I live. She taught me how to talk. And, and so you could say that, in a sense, she naturally helped me get over that. But I'm going to tell you, um, even to this day, I still struggle with stuttering. But for some reason, when I get in the pulpit, God helps me overcome that. Uh, some of you know, when you get on the phone with me, I, I sometimes really struggle with that. And so I'm not saying that God doesn't give us this enabling. But what I am saying is, as you look at these gifts, a lot of these appear to be natural abilities that God enhances to serve and grow the body of Christ as well. So let's just list these spiritual gifts. Here's 18, all right? And if you study out all the different um, passages of Scripture that deal with spiritual gifts, you'll come up with this list of 18. So you've got administration. Listen, I am so thankful that God led, led us to bring on staff Pastor Don Kakavikos. Not only does he have an amazing last name, which is Greek, but he has, how many, of you would, uh, how many of you would agree as brothers and sisters in Christ, he has the gift of administration. Raise your hand if you know that to be true. Amen. So, uh, man, talk about gift of administration right over there. Uh, but spiritual gifts of discernment, encouragement. Man, some of you know just when to reach out and encourage one of your brothers and sisters in Christ. You know why I know that? Because I've been a receptive. I've been a receiver of some of that encouragement. A word spoken in due season, how good is it? And you have this eye to be able to see when people are struggling. So you have this gift of mercy. Probably a mercy and an encourager are tied together, right? Because they are empathetic and they see that. And then they reach out to encourage and do something about it. Exhortation, evangelism, faith, giving, interpretation of tongues, helps and service, healing, knowledge, leadership, mercy, miracles, prophecy, teaching, tongues, wisdom. Now, as you look at that list, here's some that are clearly miraculous gifts, all right? And those are these in yellow. 
Um, interpretation of tongues, you know, if someone's talking in an unknown language and you're able to interpret that, wow, you know. And there's a lot of debate even on what the word tongue means. You know, it's the Greek word glosis. So is this a foreign language? Well, there's evidence that it was a foreign language. In Acts chapter 2, all the Jews that had come from around the known world at that time, they all heard the disciples speaking in their own language. So was this some heavenly language that God then trans transliterated as people heard it? I don't know exactly, but I know that these ones in yellow typically are what we call sign gifts or supernatural miraculous gifts, okay? And we're not going to go into the tall weeds today to debate that. But then you see others on this list that seem to be, that could be, more of natural inclinations that God just gave to us. And this is where it gets confusing because, okay, God gives us talents, but then he also gives us spiritual gifts. And so that's where the confusion becomes is that, okay, does God take the talents that we have, like say in music, and we're able to teach through music? Do you see that? So you take the spiritual gift of teaching and you take the talent of music and you're able to do that. Now, musicians, how many of you musicians would say, I know some people that are talented to play music, but they're not good music teachers, Right? I mean, that's the reality. My wife's raising her hand because she's seen that before. Um, you know, there's people who are gifted musically, but they don't know how to take So, So again, there's, the, there, there's a lot of discussion about this, but I just wanted to list that for you. Some are supernatural, but many typically or could be natural that the Holy Spirit enhances. For, for example, public speaking. Um, could someone be naturally gifted at public speaking, and then when they get saved, the Holy Spirit enhances that gift? to then teach the truth of Scripture to the body of Christ? Absolutely, I think that, that could be the case. And so, as we work through this, think about these things. Number two, um, these gifts in the New Testament are not exhaustive. What do I mean by that? Well, here in 1 Corinthians 12, you have a list of nine gifts. But if you compare this list with the one in Romans 12, there's not that many. There's, uh, I think, six or seven gifts listed, and they're different ones. In fact, the miraculous gifts are only mentioned here in Corinth, which is interesting. So if God meant for this list to be exhaustive, then why didn't he give to Corinth the other nine gifts that are listed in other verses or, or, in, or in other books? I don't think God would have put this list out there to the, to the church of Corinth and then expected the church of Corinth to go find that, oh yeah, that epistle to the Romans. Because think about it again, in the first century mindset, they didn't have all these books together. And so it's interesting as you study this out that God mentions these to this church over here, but then to the church of Rome, he mentions these. Um, next, the Bible doesn't define the gifts. What do I mean by that? In some of these gifts, for instance, uh, encouragement. Well, we can get an idea of what that means, or we can get an idea of teaching, but it doesn't get real nitty-gritty specific in these. So the Spirit has the freedom to hone those and focus those for us. And so uh, this, uh, the, the Bible doesn't necessarily define them specifically. Uh, number next, perhaps God gives gifts today that he didn't give in the first century. Is God capable of giving a new gift that he didn't give in the first century? Sure. What if somebody's really gifted in technology and they can encourage the body of Christ through their understanding of technology and getting the gospel out to the world? They didn't have that back in the first century. And so be careful, church members, when you call the uh, technologically advanced people in our church geeks or nerds, because they might just be gifted to serve the body of Christ through that 
as they serve. And then finally, perhaps God gave gifts in the first century that he doesn't give today. And this is the one where whole denominations get separated and say, well, the gift of tongues, healing, and miracles, and that, that's not a gift for today. And then other denominations say, oh, that is a gift for today. We're not going to get into that debate today. But all I will say is, is that clearly we see this division. And Paul specifically mentioned the sign gifts in his passage. Why? Because a lot of these sign gifts, Satan was counterfeiting in these other pagan religions, as we know, Paul alludes to in verses 2 and 3. And so Paul brings these up because these were the ones that people prided themselves in having, as you'll see in chapter 14. People are going around saying, well, I have the gift of tongues, therefore I am more preeminent than you are. Sit down, elbow. The eye or the mouth is about to speak, right? All right, so understanding spiritual gifts, there's some help for you, and hopefully it's more helpful. And uh, yeah, so let's keep moving along. So what are the basics then of spiritual gifts? Verses 4 through 6 also lays out some basics here, some basics truths that we'll build upon in the following weeks. Number one, spiritual gifts are given by God. Spiritual gifts are given by God. Notice verses 4 through 6 again. Uh, Spiritual gifts are given by God. Why is this important? Um, It says, now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are diversities of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. Did you notice anything in those three verses we just read again for the third time? The whole Godhead, the entire Trinity, is involved in this gifting process. Did you catch that? There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Jesus is referred to as Lord in the New Testament. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God or God the Father. So these spiritual gifts are given to us by God. Why is this important? Because this anchors us in the reality that it's, it's not about the gift It's about the giver, and it's about why he gave it to us and understanding the purpose, which we'll get to in our application today. And so spiritual gifts are given by God. The entire, and and do you see that God by, by design here is saying, look, there's unity within the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and there should be unity in the body of Christ with with one another's gifts. Look over at verse 11. He kind of reiterates this when he says over verse 11, but all these worketh that one and the self-same spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. So that's the first spiritual gift basic. And we'll build upon this in the weeks to follow. But I want to give you these basics today. Um, Number next. I got ahead of myself there. Uh, We don't all have the same gifts. So that's the second basic here. We don't all have the same gift. Look back at those verses, verses 4 through 6 again. Notice it says, there are diversities of gifts. There are diversities of gifts. There's differences of administrations. There are diversities of operations. So it's very clear. Three times, Paul says, not everyone's going to have the same gift. Why is this important? Because how many times do we see conflict in a church because really what deep down it is, is a mercy person can't understand a prophet person. Who's a prophet? Someone who sees black and white. Who's a mercy? Someone who sees a lot of gray. You know, like, well, yeah, I see black and white, but I also see this middle area, you know. And so a mercy person, a prophet person can get frustrated with each other. 
There can be gift envy. There can be gift jealousy. There can be all kinds of things. And, and if you've been in church any length of time, think back to some of the conflict in church, and perhaps a lot of it was because of a misunderstanding of spiritual gifts and, and understanding the reality that not all of us have the same gift. The third basic spiritual truth here in these passages that we'll build upon is that every Christian has at least one gift. I'm thankful for that. How many of you are thankful for that this morning? I mean, I see a lot of gifted people who seem to have won out on the spiritual gift lottery, right? I mean, they seem to get, get lots of them. And I'm thankful that God at least gives us one. And what, what, what are the verses for that? Verses 6 and 7 and 11. It says, But there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. Verse 7, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man. Verse 11, Dividing to every man severally as he will. So the reality is every Christian has at least one gift. And I love this word manifestation in verse 7. Look back at that. That word manifestation. How many of you have ever been in a situation where all of a sudden you're like, ooh, that person manifested this. I see now what's really in them. For instance, maybe someone manifests anger in a heat of battle or a ball game. You're like, ooh, whoa, I didn't realize that was in them. And now they've manifested it. Well, I love the positive use of this word. Because what Paul's saying here is that the Spirit wants to manifest God through your life. That's why God's given to you that spiritual gift that he has. Is that when you are placed in that body in the local church, basically what Paul's saying here is when you use your spiritual gifts, you are showing God to other people by using that gift. You are manifesting the Lord's presence through your life as you serve in that gifting. So every Christian has at least one gift. So, you know, how many of you grew up, you know, seeing those bumper stickers that said, my child's gifted? Well, God has a bumper sticker on each one of your lives that says, you're gifted. You've got a gift. And God wants you to find out what it is, and he wants you to use it. And so, finally then, as, as we look at this passage, we see also that spiritual gifts are to be used for and with Christ's church. Verse 7, it says, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Paul's saying here, listen, your gift isn't given for your own good. Your gift is given for the good of others and for the glory of God. And then he uses this picture. He, he paints the picture that we are a body, that your gift is meant to be used corporately in the body of Christ. This is why I'm, I'm, I'm so passionate about every believer being a part of a local assembly because they need this in their life. They need to have a way to manifest their gift and to link together with other parts of the body because them being an eyeball is great, which maybe that's the gift of discernment and wisdom, right? Eyeball, see, discern, be wise. But they need other parts of the body. And I'm afraid what we have today is we have almost these divisions in these cells where all the eyeballs get together. And they're like, well, we don't need the other parts. Well, that's not going to look like a healthy body if you're not. And so Paul says here, these gifts are given that to every man to profit with all. And so two ways that gifts can be abused here in this passage are, number one, you do not use your gift for the good of the church, and that's really what he's dealing with in chapter 12. 
and then as we'll study in a couple of weeks, or you don't use your gift with love. You use it without love, and that's chapter 13. And so these four basics are very clear here in these verses. Your gifts are given to you by God. The focus isn't even on the gift. It's on the giver, right? We don't all have the same spiritual gifts. This helps us understand sometimes the source of conflict in the church and helps us to identify why we have conflict. Number three, every Christian has at least one gift, and all God's people said amen to that. And then spiritual gifts are to be used for and with Christ's church. Now, 8 through 11 is interesting. What it does is it basically takes these four truths and reinforces them. That's what every good preacher does, and that's what Paul does here. He reinforces it. So look at verse 8. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. So Paul lists these nine different gifts here in these three verses. As I mentioned to you earlier, the other passages mention another nine. So there's 18 gifts listed in various passages throughout the New Testament. But this is where the miraculous sign gifts are found. Why is that? Because, again, we believe that those are the ones being abused and misused the most here in the city of Corinth. And they were using those sign gifts to establish preeminence in the body. Verse 11, but all these worketh, and here it is, Paul's wrapping up his thoughts when he says, but all these worketh that one and the selfsame spirit dividing to every man severally as he will. What's Paul saying there? We've all been gifted in unique ways for the glory of God and the good of the church. Now, I want to point out a passage to you because I thought of this in my study this week about gifts talking about natural abilities that the Holy Spirit enhances to be a blessing to the body of Christ and to propagate the gospel for the glory of God. Do you remember the story of the building of the tabernacle in the Old Testament? Exodus 36, it's right here on the screen. Look at this verse. It says, Then wrought Bezalel and Aholiab and every wise-hearted man in whom the Lord put wisdom and understanding to know how to work all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary according to all that the Lord had commanded. I love that. Because in a way, that's a foreshadowing of the reality that God would build up a new temple. We would be the temple. We would be living stones. And we would all have spiritual gifts. Just as these men were gifted to build the tabernacle in the Old Testament, so God has equipped us with the skills and the abilities spiritually given to us by God to serve the body. And so he wraps up his thoughts here in verse 12. He says, For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. So also is Christ. What is God telling us here in this passage very, very clearly? He's saying this. God gave you a gift or gifts to use for the benefit of the body of Christ. And so... How do we apply this? Number one, we are to be thankful for our spiritual gifts that the Lord has given to us. Rather than to be critical of the gifts that other people have or unthankful for the ones we don't have, we're to be content and satisfied that God has gifted us the way that he has. Hey, young people, one thing that you can learn early in life is to be satisfied with what God has gifted you to have and to be. 
I see so many young people who struggle with wanting to be like somebody else in an unhealthy way. We all know that you have mentors in your life that speak into your life that encourage you to grow in your relationship with the Lord. But what we're talking about is, oh, if I could just be like that person. God doesn't want you to do that. He wants you to understand that you're fearfully and wonderfully made, and he's gifted you uniquely, I guarantee you, uniquely, to serve the body of Christ. And so not only for our young, young, young adults, but for everybody in this room, may we be thankful for the way that God has gifted us. May we not be critical. May we not be, uh, uh, yeah, just, just, it's funny how many times, if you really boil it down, when we're critical of others, perhaps it's because we're being critical of the fact that they just have a different gift than we do. Isn't that incredible to think about? Have you ever thought about that? That's something for us to ponder. So that's the first application. Be thankful for the gift that God has given to you. Number two, use your gift. Man, if there's any application today, is my, my prayer is Pastor Don has lots of emails and phone calls this week, right? Pastor Don, I love you, brother. But he's been gifted the gift of administration, so he wants to administrate all the people calling him this week saying, Pastor Don, I heard Pastor Brian preach this message this week on using my gift, and I haven't been using my gift, and so tell me where I can start using it. And in the month of November, on Sunday nights, we're going to really start focusing on equipping you to serve in your gifting. And so be in prayer about that. We're making some changes. We're actually moving our service times to 5 o'clock on Sunday evenings. And we're really going to take on a focus of training more servants to use their gifts that God's given to them. And so we'll give you more details about that down the road. But So use your gifts. If you're not, oh, hey, if you're not currently using your gifts, we are missing out on being the body of Christ that God wants us to be. And so where has God gifted you? How can you serve? You might say, I'm not sure. We've got a survey that you can take, and we will help get you plugged in. So see Pastor Don if you've got questions on how to use your gift here. That's something that we want to do a better job of, is making sure you're plugged in, connected, and serving in your gifting, because we can't be the church that God's called us to be without you serving. And then finally, use those gifts purposefully. What does this mean? Some of you have incredible natural abilities that the Holy Spirit's even enhanced, and you take those abilities, and you are an amazing impact out in the community with those gifts. Some of you, I mean, I look across this room, some of you men are incredible leaders. Some of you women are incredible leaders. I mean, I'm looking across this room, and you make a huge difference in your community in leadership. My challenge to you is take those abilities and those gifts that God's given to you and make sure that you're using them purposefully as well in the local church. Because if you're not... Here's the thought. If you're not, we cannot be the church that God means for us to be until we purpose to use our gifts for the benefit of the body of Christ. And so think about that whole list of 18 gifts. And maybe there's more that God's added since the first century. He's certainly able to do that. But as you see that and you weigh these issues, are you thankful? Are you using your gift? Are you using your gift intentionally or purposefully in the body of Christ. I leave you with this message right here from 1 Peter 4. He says, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You see it? We've received a gift because of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. So church, 
God doesn't mean for you just to be a spectator. He wants you to take the gifts that you have. Yes, use them out in the community. Make a difference in our world for the cause of Christ. But make sure that you're connected and using those in and through the body. Because we will never be able to be the church that God means for us to be until we are using these gifts as a fitly joined together body. You ever have your foot out of joint? You ever have a bad back? You ever have a bad knee? You ever have an eyeball that needs correcting? So many churches today, isn't it true? They hobble along handicapped because all the parts, all the gifts aren't united. I mean, imagine if one leg tried to go that way and this other leg tried to go that way. That's not going to work for long. And so God calls us here to take the gifts he's given to us and say, okay, Lord, we're going to unite. We're going to serve together because we cannot be the church you've called us to be until we're firmly fixed on that foundation of you 